Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Poe Appreciation Project. Today, we have on the sexy man, perhaps the sexiest man. His name is Con Newpert. I've known him since high school. Uh, he's notorious for going wherever he goes, wherever that may be, with a full-fledged suit on his body. And I gotta give him credit. He looks really good in it. Um, Connor has a certain sincerity to himself that I've really come to appreciate. And the depth of the conversations that we've had in the past uh, made for conversations that I certainly still remember today and hope to remember for a long time. Uh, Connor has kindness at the center of his heart, but also a superior sense of style, which I hope to one day accomplish in my own life. I had a lot of fun talking to Connor. I really liked this episode. Um, so without further delay, here's my man, the sexy man, Connor Newbert. Hello, friends. Welcome back. I'm really excited for today because we get to be joined by the massive, beautiful, uh, pectoralis machine, Connor Newbert. You lost me a massive, but I have to agree with the first one there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I haven't talked to you in a while. How's it been? It's been a journey. Yeah? It's been a while. I don't even... When was the last time we talked? Last time we talked was like... Not over messages, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, no. We we saying goodnight to each other all the time. Um, all those lullabies that I have to sing to you while I... But I appreciate that. Virtually stroke you here. Stroke you to sleep. The, the last time we talked was probably in person was it like pre-covid i don't think Probably. i've seen you since the pandemic started at least here in Probably. america uh, that's is this gonna be like the new bc yeah <laughs> pre-covid post-covid but then it's kind of like the weird like before christ after death it's like where it's like did we just lose like 31 years of time i i think that it'll be the 31st floor that no one ever mentions Huh. It'd be really cool though if we started a new system based off of, you know, pre-post COVID instead of you know because here's the thing: not everyone necessarily shares the same calendar because not everyone shares the same religion. Very true. Very true. The Christian calendar is what most people use, but there's other calendars out there too. Yeah, the Muslim calendar. And and, and like, why can't we? I don't know. We can all agree that this happened for sure. I mean, well, I, not all of us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah. yeah and we got the mind calendar we're we're looking on borrowed time but i i mean it depends on what calendar you're looking at really. that's true that's true this whole thing is gonna be a bit of a scar in our memory i think yeah in the future we'll something to look back on something that we can grow from hopefully hopefully we can learn more than just being political but you know yeah, no, I've had to kind of avoid politics because it just becomes all-encompassing, you know? It does. It it, it kind of scares me how easy it is to go like, oh, fuck that guy. He's a different opinion. Exactly. I mean, there are some people being really stupid about the pandemic, and, you know, yeah. I reserve the right to make fun of them. But, but you know, I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to go out of my way to be a dick to them. Yeah. So. It's um. like, you you kind of have it coming to you if you're just going to be a dumbass. Yeah. So, but then it's like, it's concerning that a virus, really anything, can, its existence can be left up to which which side you believe, like, politically. Yeah, something that should be a unanimous effort to, you know, overcome has become this partisan 
butt fuck session. And it's just stupid. Precisely. Yeah. It, <laughs> seriously, Couldn't have said it, it better than it. It's everyone myself. standing in their own little circle, fucking each other in the ass, and just pointing fingers. No one can take any blame. Yeah. You know. I, I, it's just the whole thing is ridiculous. But yeah, I want to know how you've been doing amid all of it. Pretty good. Pretty busy. Yeah. I mean, as you know. Uh, do you still work at the airport? I'm afraid I do. Still no. destroys everybody's <laughs> personal belongings. Hasn't it just empty there? It was incredibly empty at the beginning. Um, I was working like three hours a week, almost nothing. Oh, whoa. Um, and I always think it's funny when restaurants and whatnot feel the need that they have to have 20 people on staff when an entire <laughs> airport operation ran on three people. Um, <laughs> and to be fair, Boise Airport's relatively small, but you know it's still an airport. Yeah, it's still an airport. Planes still have to land. You know, bags still have to get everywhere. Planes need to be cleaned. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, cocaine people... stored up underneath the plane has to make exactly. it to its dealers. Precisely. <laughs> All the little rabbits and alligators that people ship. Lots of things, and you'd be surprised how many dead people are on planes. Yeah. But um, yeah. Anyway, it's uh, it was super empty at the beginning, and it slowly started to go back up. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're at full flight capacity, meaning that we have all the flights that we had pre-COVID. Uh, but we Delta still flies. Can I use Delta? Yeah. Can I say no. Delta. No. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, you're well, I guess to. we're not the BBC, so they can't believe. You don't us. have to worry about brand names. We're we're nowhere near that level of professionalism. So okay. Anyway, Delta um, flies at sixty percent capacity, which pretty much means that they just block off the middle seat because they're mainly three seats in a row. Um, but yeah, and it's actually been pretty busy. We'll still have flights with two bags on them where Delta's making literally no money. Damn. Um, and in fact, Ed Bastin, the CEO, he was, he said, we're only losing $25 million a day. Only. Only. <laughs> yeah. I know there is a bailout in legislation for the airlines, but I think that got shot down because it didn't come with uh, financial aid for like the rest of Americans. Something I like that. I know there was the bailout. I don't know if it was shot down. Because I know a lot of the companies wanted... They didn't want to take what they needed to take it. And, like, you got stupid companies like Boeing, which I have learned to hate. Really? Because, well, the planes that we worked at are Boeing. I loathe. Because they're just poorly configured. And nothing's very user-friendly. Mm. When you get in the cockpit of a Boeing, there is about eight million switches that do three different things. Whereas if you get in the cockpit of like an Airbus and it's one switch and the entire thing turns on and it's super easy, <laughs> super user friendly. It um, reminds me of like uh, the old like Star Wars and Star Trek movies where it's just like a shit ton of buttons that yeah. had no purpose placed everywhere on the walls. Exactly. And like that was the future vision for what technology would look like. <laughs> and yeah, and Boeing has stayed with that. And then they decided, you know, obviously, you're you're a well-read man. 
Not particularly, but... <laughs> well, I'm sure you've heard of, uh, like, the 737 MAX crashes and all that. Yeah. Where Boeing was like, not on us. <laughs> it was the pilots. And then they then they were like, oh, okay, we'll, we'll concede. It was on us. And then we they were like... up just a yeah. little bit. So they had a real... Essentially, Boeing hot-rodded their plane. They had a really, you know, true and tried and true tested design of a nice plane the 737 with engines and then they're like all right we're gonna make bigger engines that are more fuel efficient and so that obviously increases the lift the front end lift of the plane and so to counteract that they made the software so that it would sort of counteract that and it would go down the problem was is when it was level it made it look like it was going like this so then the plane tried to go down and then the pilots are trying to counteract that, but the soft software is like, no, 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 I, I know what I'm doing. And then they're crashing. This is the beginning of uh, artificial intelligence taking its <laughs> revenge on humanity. Essentially, yeah. And then, and then they were like, ah, you know what, guys, this uh, this idea kind of didn't work out very well. What do we do? Instead of fixing that, spaceships. <laughs> Let's go to NASA. Let's go to space. Let's completely change our direction. <laughs> We've been an airline for too long. We've been a plane manufacturer for too long. Why don't we make spaceships? And then needless to say, that didn't work. Yeah, so far it doesn't seem like they're... I mean, I know they are accomplishing big things, but they're not at the forefront of any of the news you read about space travel. No. Yeah, that's kind of done by Elon Musk. Yeah, no, he kind of has a... He has a little bit of a monopoly growing there. Yeah. But, you know, he still has competition. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. So what is it like working for an airline? It's... <sighs> At a loss for words. No, it's... There's not, like, a short and sweet phrase, I guess. It hey, is, we're we're, we're looking fun. for the truth, not short and sweet. It depends on what you like. So, it is fun. I, I work... In the mornings from like 4 a.m. to 12. Um, and God so, damn, man. That... <laughs> it is the devil's work getting up that early, especially when I tend not to go to sleep at 8 p.m. Yeah. And it's closer to 12 or 1 a.m. Um, but yeah, it, it's not bad. I like it. And the sunrises are. They make it all. You sent me some photos, man. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it is. They are beautiful. And because, you know, the airport, it doesn't seem like it's very high up, but it's higher than almost most things in Boise. Mm -hmm. I mean, where the airport strip is? Yeah. Yeah. And it's massive. Like, you know, you obviously know an airport's big, but like, it's a, it's a, planes are big. Don't mean to spoil anything for anybody, (laughs) but planes are big and you don't realize how big planes are um but it's a it's it's very i've done a lot of things that i didn't expect i would do and learned a lot of things that i you kind of don't think about Mm -hmm. especially just as a passenger even just when i'm working as a ramp agent and then say i'm flying it's two different mindsets because there's so much going on. Because when you're, when you're a passenger, you go through TSA and you're thinking about, oh my god, do I have a gun on me that I've never owned? 
And then you get there, and a man spends five minutes of your life checking every single orifice of your body, only to discover that, oh, you actually aren't a terrorist. Uh, you're just a poor man who has his phone on him. Uh, and then you get to the gate, and then most of the time, the gate agents have IQs beginning with decimal points <laughs> and are incredibly annoying. Yeah. Uh, and then you get onto the plane, and that's all you're thinking about. You're just like, okay, well, I'll, I'm tr- you get on a plane to go somewhere. So that's what you're thinking about. You're thinking about where you're going to be. Yeah, Not- you don't want to be at the airport. You no, be, you no be one wants to be at go. the airport. <laughs> but then, and there's so much going on, because you drop your bag off at the ticket counter, and from there, it goes through a carousel, like, like in Toy Story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Toy Story is incredibly accurate in this sense. There are so many just carousels that your bag travels through mm-hmm. and TSA touches it inappropriately. And then some, if something's flagged, it goes to what's known as the glass house where some more people touch it inappropriately. Then the baggage handlers get it, throw and it they violently. get their grubby hands all over exactly. and touch it inappropriately. Yeah. And maybe, you know, look in it. And then violently throw it onto a cart. And then from there, it's taken to the plane. Like, your bags are not treated politely in any sense I mean, of the word. I feel like that's a general understanding people have of airports. <laughs> is it because of laziness, or is it just because you're on time crunch? Um, I wouldn't say laziness. I would say complacency. Yeah. And a time crunch. Because most people drop their bags at about an hour and a half, an hour before the flight leaves. Mm-hmm. Which isn't a whole lot of time for the amount of... Because it can take 30 minutes from the time you drop it off at the ticket counter for it to reach the baggage carousel for the baggage handler. That's a long time. Yeah, because TSA likes to take their time. TSA ain't going to speed anything <laughs> As if they up. don't have that reputation. <laughs> yeah. And so not only do they violently touch you, they touch your bags as well. Um and then you get, and then by the time the planes get, the bags get to the plane, you have to load them onto a baggage, uh, the belt loader. And then there's somebody, and you know that's the only, that's really the only time you may see your bag, mm-hmm. is when it's on the cart and it's going to be loaded onto the belt loader. Oh, when you're watching from the window of the plane. Exactly. Yeah. Or from the terminal or whatnot. And you might think, my God, that person is just harassing my bag, not taking any. <laughs> Respect I have for to my file a lawsuit. Yeah. But it is treated so much worse during all other aspects of, of its journey. So that's than in the that. good part. <laughs> that's the good part. And you and most people think it's absolutely horrific. Um and then it's thrown into uh thrown into the bin where it's touched by so many other bags, at least four other bags. And so it is absolutely filthy. Yeah, don't they really try to cram them in there in the bottom of the plane? 100%. And the bins are not square like the bags are. The bins go like this. Yeah, with the shape of the plane. plane. Yeah, because they want to use up all the space. Bags don't do that unless they're soft duffel bags. So then you get bags are like this, and then you got got to build like a square and then stuff other ones in. And so it's just, it's a lot of body movement and sweat and 
Yeah, curse words. If you <laughs> if you got trapped in there, do you think you could survive if you <sighs> flew up to what altitude airplanes go? Like, is it like fifteen 30, grand or thirty thousand feet? Yeah. Um, do you want to try something? That's the thing. Sure. <laughs> I I have thought about it. I'm dressed up for you already. We'll we'll have our honeymoon over there. <laughs> I'm down, darling. Um, I I would say yes because like animals go underneath the plane all the time. So I presume it airlocks and it is pressurized yeah. uh, because if it wasn't, things could go wrong. And shit, I know shit people, would die. yeah, but I know people have survived, but sometimes people try and get into where the landing gear goes. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> not pressure locked, right? No, it's not because tires don't care. They, they, and, they're just doing their own thing. Yeah. And when the plane's landed and you've got, the big six wheels that are about well bigger than the size of this desk mm-hmm. down on the ground. It looks like oh a cavernous space. Look at all the places I could hide. But then when the plane flies up in the air, and there's no seatbelts, obviously, because you're not supposed to be down there. Yeah. <laughs> and the wheels come back in, you suddenly realize what all that cavernous space was for. And most people tend to be crushed. Ooh. And there was one account of I think it was a a refugee and he was he he got he found his way into the landing gear mm-hmm. was obviously crushed at some point in the journey oh god or suffocated i don't know and he was and they were flying into london and the landing gear has to come out before you're anywhere close to the tarmac oh, just, no, just no. in case <laughs> so no, it's landing gear opens up somebody finds a refugee's body that was bombarded into their backyard or somewhere <laughs> just because someone couldn't buy a ticket. Imagine having your kid's birthday party. <laughs> oh, no. And you have a bouncy house in the back and the kids are just having fun. And then a guy falls from the sky. <laughs> Master and commander oh type God. stuff. That's horrible, though. Poor, poor dude. Or command and control, yeah. Oh I mean, stupid God. move on his part, but I mean, I mean, he's a refugee. He was he's probably, already yeah, he was enough. probably pretty desperate. Yeah, uh, and didn't expect to be crushed by landing gear. But there <laughs> are awful. horrific things that happen at the airport. What are some of the sketchier things you notice in your time working there? Um, how acceptable aircraft damage is. Like to what to what extent? Like. I've pointed out to pilots that there are bolts missing on planes. Like, bolts for the panels. Like, the outside panels yeah. for the wings and stuff? Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's okay. Don't worry about it. And then when there is a bolt missing or something wrong with the plane, like a scratch or something in it, what they do, and the people give crap to, you know, the people in their... uh rice ricer cars and all, all that for using duct tape mm-hmm. airplanes have a lot of duct tape on them it's not quite <laughs> duct tape it's like tin tape but my god like air duct tape yeah god. like the, the metal uh like tin foil tape. yeah no i know <laughs> yeah that's that's what they use so like there was one plane and it was a bigger plane i think it was a i think it was a 737 and most of the 737s are poorly uh maintained 
And most of them are old. Um, and along the bottom side of the wing. So if this is the wing, mm-hmm. and they they generally have like a rubber bits or like a gasket around there. Yeah. Um, that was worn out. And so just a ru- running along the entire bottom side is just a big strip of this tin tape. <laughs> it doesn't instill a lot of confidence. No. But... I mean, you have to remember that if a plane isn't safe to get on, the pilot wouldn't be flying it because the pilot is looking out for the pilot. Yeah, but half the time the pilots are mistreated and they don't have time to sleep and they're on their own schedule. So, I mean, they may not be in the mental, you know, they may not have the mental framework to even give a shit about it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of restrictions in the airline industry just because, I mean, you've always... You've obviously got up to, God, I don't know, 600 people's lives in your hands sometimes. Um, And so there are a lot of restrictions. So it is safe. I don't want anybody thinking that the airlines are not safe to travel Oh, you're freaking me out. I'm flying to Minneapolis (laughs) in two weeks. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you'll be fine. Hopefully. Um, (laughs) But no, and yeah, the, the pilots, most of the... Most of the actual mainline, and I say mainline, mainline generally just means big plane mm-hmm. um, in common layman terms. Uh, most of those pilots are treated pr- pretty well. That's good. Uh, it's just the connection flights, which is like the smaller planes, the Embraers and whatnot. Like from like big hubs to smaller cities? or Yeah, something like that. Or Well, we fly from Boise to Seattle, we only fly Embraers, and those are all operated by SkyWest. Mm-hmm. And SkyWest maintains their planes exceptionally well. But, like, the pilots are on call, some of them. Like, we had one pilot, he was having dinner with his like, wife and uh, some friends. And he got a call, and he was like, alright, we need you to uh, move this airplane. Because it was cheaper for them to fly from Seattle Boise and park it in Boise than it was to park it one night in Seattle. Oh, come on. <laughs> it was like $5,000. Or, or no, it was more than that. Oh, my God. I yeah. mean, th- not only is that a waste of fuel and, you know, contributing more than it needs to to the environment, some, <laughs> you know, some shit, but, like, I mean, just suck it up, man. <laughs> it's, it's one night. Like, if they're going to charge me two dollars to park for half an hour yeah to go see someone off at the airport i feel like they're making enough money yeah. to pay for their own or fifty dollars fifty dollars because your bag weighs one pound too many <laughs> um no and the airlines oh my god i can only imagine how much profiteering there is the pushbacks that we use mind you they are purpose built mm-hmm. but they're just big diesel engines with four wheels. No. Um, they can cost over half a million dollars. That's a lot, man. <laughs> for, for essentially nothing. Uh, the tugs that we use, which are crap, and the design and engineering stopped in the 1930s. Oh. And they will, when you go over any bump or amoeba, will shatter your spine. <laughs> Those cost about $20,000. Seriously? So you can get like a brand new base Volkswagen for as much as one of those things. 
That's insane. And th- there's nothing to it. There's a tiny little engine, four wheels, and just some sheet metal that's been welded together. Like, I feel like a high school construction class could build something yeah. of equal value for yeah. way less. For, like, maybe 2000 Yeah. It's... Ab- but then, you know, the companies that are doing it, they're making loads of money, so... Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like there's this whole culture of like hating oneself when it comes to airlines and like they try to they're like you know what if i'm gonna have the stress on me and i'm gonna feel like shit coming into work every day i'm gonna make sure everyone else feels exactly the same way yeah (laughs) we're gonna shorten their leg room we're gonna cram them in like sardines and uh we're gonna try to bait them to get into like racial arguments and shit on planes so it can go viral (laughs) Yeah. yeah angry people like to bring people down to their level for people hating the word socialism and equality people really like bringing people down they don't like building them up as much they like bringing people down it's easier to knock over a building than it is to build one but like my belief is that because of the way that our egos are Mm -hmm. we have to in some way feel like we're exceptional um and I feel like the two ways that really manifests itself is one route is looking down on other people mm-hmm. and being like, and trying to prove to them and yourself, like, Hey, I'm better than you. I work harder than you. I do better than you. I yeah. make more money than you. I have more babes than you do. I have more Get men than you do. It, it As Eve matter. well said, fuck bitches make money. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and it's that mindset that is kind of toxic. And I don't feel like, you know, you might, be able to in certain moments you know make huge accomplishments that make you be like oh hey like hell yeah i'm fucking killing it right now i'm better than anyone else yeah but you know it's only momentary but i feel like the the other route of you know giving yourself a feeling of exceptionalism is just self-love you know because like i think i think self-love is incredibly important and i don't think it's like to an extent it is egotistical Mm mm-hmm because it's about yourself and like who goes, I love myself so much. <laughs> yeah, narcissist. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's um, it's something that's important, uh, but you have to you know use it in moderation before it becomes like a mental illness. Yeah, and I th- I think there is a difference, and you know as you said, in moderation, anything in moderation can be helpful. And self love, because I think there's a lot of scenarios in which a lot of people don't love themselves for whatever reason and it is important to understand your value you know you're better than no one but as good as anyone and yeah no i like the way you worded that it's because if you if you love yourself that's not my quote quote. (laughs) well i i know but anyway yeah (laughs) but but um if you it's important to love yourself in a way that doesn't have to demean other people mm-hmm. for you to love yourself. It has to be something that's organic and something that is self-contained. Yeah. Otherwise it you just start bragging like about how great you are and shit. And then it becomes and then it turns right back into the other uh version of making yourself exceptional, which is like basically putting other people down or mm-hmm. believing that somehow you're a god compared to them. You are Kim Jong un, you don't even have an asshole. You don't poop. <laughs> <laughs> precisely dude apparently just a plastic bag floating in the wind apparently uh people like follow kim jong-un and like dispose of all evidence of his shit 
so to keep up this that's like just western lies that's what that's what the, they want you to think well, maybe but like i just find it hilarious if people are going around trying to dispose of evidence that would that like... that to that level <laughs> yeah. like my god well and then also you gotta if you have those people like are they like part of the higher government that knows it's propaganda and that they're feeding to the people or are they so enchanted by this that there's a huge dissociation in their brain between like truth and like their relative truth of who this guy is i think probably the high command probably has understanding of the disillusion that they and the propaganda um just because how could you not yeah like you you're part of that problem and um yeah like um there's a really good korean film that uh alec might have told you about which one uh taxi driver i love taxi not driver. a taxi driver not a taxi a, driver. very very different films. very different films royce tried to compare them um solely based yeah um no it's a wonderful movie it's amazing just how well it shows like and it was south korea at the time, well, at the time, it still is. Um, <laughs> but it's like in a democratic part of the world. Supposedly democratic. Supposedly you, you democratic. Had horrible acts of tyranny. Yeah. And it was like, oh, it's it's protest. And it's, it was just all the way that the government framed everything mm. to make it believable and have the entire country turn on just this one small town where it was actually the government that was oppressing the people. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely check it out so, if you haven't. It's a really good movie. But yeah, no, some... I don't know. It, it's it's interesting to see how these different, like, economic systems around the world, like, influence people's behavior. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm not going to pretend for a moment that I know shit about, like, <laughs> about international no, politics or, or, or anything like that. But, like... I don't know. It's I'm really hoping that someday um, places like North Korea, for example, like are able to come around. And I I was hoping that they would get COVID and it would like destroy their country (laughs) and maybe get Kim or something. Uh, Like kill the people, kill the North Korean population so the South Koreans can. No, 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 no. I don't wish any harm on the North Korean people. Just just the tyrannical dictatorship they have there. I think most people would agree with you there. And w- one, I was I was just watching a show on Amazon called The Boys. Have you seen that? I've heard of The Boys. I've wanted to look at it, but I haven't. Supremely good. Jimmy is nodding in the corner, sitting like a like <laughs> like a child is in punishment. Um, but very good show. And I don't want to spoil anything, but the way that they, you know, okay, there is there is a spoiler alert. I don't know which camera to look at this one. Um, they do bring in like Nazi. And I was like, oh, God. You know, here's another Nazi story. Oh, how many times can we do it? You know, yeah. um, I think most people can agree the Holocaust was a bad thing. And, uh, and they had it. So one of the superheroes who's actually a supervillain, which is kind of the main premise of the entire show, that the superheroes aren't actually superheroes. They just portray that they're superheroes. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a Nazi back in the 1940s and 30s. And she uses the same techniques that Hitler did to get 
you know, the the Aryan race to power. Mm-hmm. And she uses that same way to get the American people to uh, sort of back up the superheroes. Because kind of the whole idea is there's a capitalist society, uh, capitalist uh, company that has is in control of these superheroes and they want to militarize them mm-hmm. so that every so that everybody's reliant on this one company so that they have all this money and they're essentially this monopoly that the entire world revolves around and then a big scandal happens and uh, a whole lot of problems happen and she uses the same techniques that like Hitler would have done and I was thinking that not quite slight tangent but how just like self-love as we were saying and anything in moderation how dangerous hope can be because mm. hope can be an incredibly powerful tool to get people through incredibly hard things i think right now is kind of one of those times for a lot of people yeah and hitler i think relied a lot on the hope and the optimism of the German public at the time because of the hardship that they were in. They had no other choice than yeah. to look at things positively because yeah. it was horrible for them. And he and if you you know, if you're having to like watch your child starve and all this hardship and pretty much using your paper your money as wallpaper to the point where like almost nothing really matters and this man comes up to you and there's there's been plenty of stories of like why you would have like, if you lived in Germany at the time, why you probably would have been a Nazi. Because um, we all like to think, oh, I wouldn't have been a Nazi. Or, no, I would have helped yeah. the slaves. And but, but it was, it was, it was enticing for a lot of people because they yeah. needed something. And it, and that kind of... It's incredibly dangerous because it can go either way. Yeah. Um, there was a C.S. Lewis quote. I can't... I'm, I'm not going gonna to say it for verbatim or anything. But it was essentially, you know, a a cow cannot be evil. A cow cannot be evil. A dog can be good or bad. An average person can be better or worse. But a properly smart and brilliant person could be even more worse or even better than anybody else. So it's kind of that level of intelligence and that level for literal potential energy can cause so much chaos or help in so many ways. I mean, I agree with that, but you could also counter that the idea of good and evil are our own inventions. They're nothing, you know, things naturally behave as they do. If we had a different mindset towards the whole ordeal, you know, seeing something natural occur, like a hawk eating a fish, you Mm -hmm. know, going down and catching a fish, like, you know, you could perceive that as evil if you wanted to, like, it's something died yeah but you know or you could look at it as the natural order of things but i guess you know to what you were saying maybe you know that discrepancy and you know how you perceive good and bad could also like for example like with the nazi party mm-hmm. like you know it's probably going to be more easy than you think to overlook things that are truly horrible mm-hmm. as just part of the natural world if you're in a position where you know, your feelings are kind of closed off to the surrounding world because you're in hardship. Mm -hmm. It's its own type of defense mechanism to kind of close yourself off um, from the reality of how horrible you might just be acting. Yeah, and I mean, most of human existence 
or life and everything. The human body wants to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. I think that's there's a lot of things that can like just boil down to that. Like and even like you know kinks or masochistic tendencies or anything like that. Like if you were spanked as a child, you obviously didn't like being spanked, but to cope with speak that, for yourself. All right. <laughs> Maybe afterwards. Um, but to cope, your body finds a way to turn this into a pleasure so that it doesn't face this hardship mm-hmm. all the time. And this, that could go for anything. Oh, dude, there's a creepy ass episode of Black Mirror. Oh, God. Where uh, this doctor was like, he, he had this patient who like died on him. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to, like, he was having trouble communicating, like, what the problem was between the patients and him. So he had this, like, technology that allowed him to, like, feel what they felt. Mm-hmm. And he could, like, locate then exactly where, like, tumors and stuff were within their body. Oh, so not, like, true, like, empathy. It was, like, he could feel their pain. Like, he like he could physically feel, well, he could feel to empathize with them, too. It's, like, his brain kind of became theirs. So my understanding was like he could physically feel what they're feeling, but also also like emotionally feel. Okay. Anyway, he had it on when a patient died and it threw him into this sick addiction to the feeling of death. And he started like he was purposely like taking in patients that were near death and he would purposely let them die under his watch so he could feel it. Yeah. And it was like this like weird sexual pleasure or like just like it's like. I've heard before that like an orgasm is like a miniature death experience. Like he doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> but like it, it was this like sick fantasy that he created for this, and he, like when the technology, when I think the technology broke or whatever, he got taken away from it. But like he started like taking off his fingers and shit because he wanted to continue feeling that orgasmic pain. I think I think in French, orgasm it literally like literally translated means little death. Is that yeah? I could that's be what, wrong. No, no, no. That that sounds familiar. That might have been where I was getting it from. But like, isn't that isn't that so weird that people would associate those things? It it, it is weird, but like people, you know, that there's all those movies and stories of like the people who have everything, and they just want to get caught, or they just they try and live on the edge. And the people who like walk that fine line, it's like, is that truly living? And some people, you know, they dip their toe either either way, and yeah, I I and like murder murderers and all that, like not necessarily psychopaths. I mean, I think psychopaths might. And I have no authority on psychopathic you psychology. You're, you're, you're an ex, you're an expert, <laughs> uh, of course, as one myself. No, um, <laughs> God, where was it going? Um, I think if you're so numb and like you you have no idea of what pain is mm. or any feeling really and you see all these other people just observing them and having death rock their world as much as it generally does yeah I think it's kind of a way to try and find a way to reach that feeling which is why you know if you go through a breakup or somebody dies or there's a hardship it's like, God, I wish I couldn't feel anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Like we were saying, it is a blessing and it's a curse. Because the very 
feelings in life. Like math is math is great, but the music and the art that has the emotion helps it. It makes life worth living. Yeah, I agree. And it's it's not sterile. And so, to some people that have minds that you know don't process information in the same way that the majority of us do something as severe as death might not be something to be scared of or something to accept it's more of like a sick cheap thrill Mm -hmm. that you can have and they're cocaine high yeah it's it's a constant you know and in some ways i feel like you know meditation is kind of the same thing it's Uh like it's a way to live in another in another realm of your own mind in the same way that you can be you know snorting ketamine and shit mm-hmm. like, like i know you usually do right like all the time <laughs> all the time but in the same way that you can do that i feel like it's one of those things where you want to escape to a different realm but the difference between meditation and a lot of uh and, and you know more other other types of escapism like drug use for example mm-hmm. uh is that it's meant to be you know at least in how i've personally come to understand it it's meant to help me continue feeling that way and and to practice being at the certain peace with my surroundings and myself mm-hmm. rather than just trying to completely escape everything and just have fun for the moment because like yeah. meditation isn't always supposed to be fun. And my understanding is like the people who like truly practice it as like part of their religion, like it's not meant to be something that brings joy or satisfaction. It's meant to be a practice of no thought. Yeah. It's an act of inactivity where you try and become one with your surroundings and accept the world as it is. Like, yes, there's hardships, but there's only so much that you can do. And the very things that make life worth worth living are the very things that make life difficult and hard and painful. Mm. Um, I'm sure I could have said something else, but I've completely forgotten. (laughs) It's all right, man. I have I have so many notes in my in my phone. I anytime I have like like a half thought, I'm like trying to go to sleep or anything, and I think of something. I always write it down in my notes. I have so many just. Do you have your phone on you? Sadly. Well, I'd like I'd actually be really curious to hear some if you'd want to share. I'm down. Okay. I'm gonna be like an old man because I can't see diddly squat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I am actually 93 years old and I use my phone as such. Now where? Oh, I'm impressed that you're even you? using a phone in that case. So congratulations. Thank you. This is my non-flip phone. But one thing I find really interesting about you is like in a lot of the conversations we've had before, like you're really good at having your own, you're good at personalizing like your own philosophies based on other philosophies. Like, you know, most of the time people like myself will kind of just spew out things they hear and it just repeat like the ideas, you know, behind other things. Uh Uh-huh as specific as that was but (laughs) but but like you have you have a way of making it personal to yourself that i admire that you you kind of apply it to your own life in in a way that i wish i was as consistent with doing well thank you um i i try to do that as much as i can because 
that makes belief as hard as it is because the amount of people who've died in the name of God is unfathomable. Yeah. And the amount of things that have been done in the name of God or any God um, is like people build cathedrals, these amazing pieces of engineering that spent, it takes generations to build all in something that they can't see. Yeah. And I think it helps. Um, you know, pe- people always like to describe or like, like to talk to or when they're talking to someone who, who they admire, whatever, um, people will sometimes say, you know, when, when you're with such someone, they made you feel like you were the only person in the room. And they like, it made it feel like, I don't know what you're going through, but I, I accept it and I can not necessarily empathize, but understand you can be with them strongly enough in the moment just to, you know, let them know that, that you're truly there with them. Yeah, and that you're, you're not alone. This this happens, but it, it doesn't happen to where it's like, oh, it's not discounting your feelings. Mm-hmm. It's like, I've been through it, you've been through it, Jimmy's been through it. And it's it's just enough evidence to where it's like, okay, look, it, you're not alone here. But it's it's not overwhelming enough to where it's like... Okay, your girlfriend broke up with you. Okay, whatever. It is, what it doesn't matter. Sounds like a every, you problem, it, yeah, bro. Personal problem <laughs> happens every day. Find someone who gives a shit. No, that's not, and that's. So I, I try and make it personal to where it it sounds like, where like I am actually listening, and where if I can apply something that I've learned, because so much of everything is connected. If you take a look back and just you zoom out because we get a lot of us and i am no exception get caught up in like day-to-day life and you know just get this tunnel vision even if we think that we're being open-minded um my brother i think is sometimes guilty of this he him and sometimes lots of people are guilty of it the people who say that they are tolerant of people are intolerant of those who are intolerant. And that's, and that's not tolerance. Yeah. That's it, just, and they're like, Oh, well I'm more accepting than you. And I, You're not accepting. Oh, like, I can't like you. Like, I feel like true acceptance of people for who they are. Isn't going to be based again on this exceptionalism that you have to have for yourself. Yeah. Like, well, I can respect people better than you. Yeah. I'm better than you because <laughs> I love more people. People love me more than they love you. <laughs> Take that. No. Yeah. It's it's being okay with the fact that, okay, you might not agree with everything. Mm-hmm. And you might not see eye to eye in everything, but that's okay. That's If we were all just mindless robots and we all agreed on everything, what would the point be? Yeah, exactly. Sure, a, a society would work absolutely perfectly. Um. But it, it's boring. You don't form, most people, unless you're Joaquin Phoenix, <laughs> form emotional attachments to electronic devices. Sure, I mean, obviously, it's like, okay, my phone goes missing. Where the hell did I put it? Yeah. And you feel like your heart Where the drops. fuck is it? Ah! Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, like, your computer is like, 
okay, it breaks, move on. Mm. Whereas, you know, it doesn't have, there's just something about life and the people always try and control it and make it predictable. But if it, everything was predictable, it'd be boring. Life has a has an aura of presence mm-hmm. that you cannot usually find in other things. Yeah. And, you know, with what you were talking about with um, how, like, you know, when you're when you're talking to someone and you want to be um, present with them in the way that you were describing, you know, I, I think that, like, there's different ways you can be present, too, because what you were talking about was how you want to be, um, you know, you may not completely agree with what someone is saying. But, you know, you still just want to be there mm-hmm. for them. And I find that personally, I think this is part of just being a guy to an extent. Um, I, I have a bit of a problem with, um, you know, if someone's upset about something or and they just want to vent about it. Mm-hmm. Um, my way of communicating to people that I'm listening to you and I genuinely care about what you're talking about and I'm here for you is by taking in what they have to say or what problem they're facing mm-hmm. um and then in my mind creating some sort of solution for it and sharing that with them and it, that's just how i communicate that's that's uh-huh. how you know that's how i feel because for me it feels like i'm really not doing you a service by just listening um it feels like i can only really truly be there to help you if like you know, I'm giving you alternatives to help with the situation because I love hearing advice from people. Mm-hmm. That's just how I am. Yeah. But I find that often it it comes across to people as though I'm not really there listening to them. It's yeah. just like I'm just trying to uh, mansplain to them. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm completely guilty. I do I do that all the time. Someone comes to me and they have a problem, and as much as I'd like to just sit there, sometimes I don't know whether they just want me to be there to listen. Or whether, you know. Like, oh, that's the worst. Not knowing. Because you don't want to like. Sometimes you don't really want to directly ask. Because it, it kind of disrupts the flow of letting them vent what they need to vent. If you're like, hey, by the way, is this something that you want? My yeah, it's, it's like on, someone or? explaining that, that like some tragic family member has died. And like and like you just didn't catch the name. And you're like, who was this again? And they're like, my mom. Are you listening at all? Like it it's feels like, the same way. Yeah, yeah, it's like a slap in the face. Like, does it really matter? Yeah. Do I matter? Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, the, the mansplaining portion is like, it's. Sometimes I wonder if I'm like, am I mansplaining? Or like, I don't mean to mansplain. I just mean to like, help. you asked a question. I, I'm trying to answer it for you or help you. It's it's not from like a malicious, like, I've got a dick. I'm better than you. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just like, okay, you have a problem. I want to help you. And then they're like, fuck off. I, I'm a strong, independent woman. I'm like, I, I didn't say you weren't. I'm just yeah. trying to help you. I think that there's certainly um, a divide. And, and the point that I was trying to get with this um, is that I think that when it comes to having a presence with someone, mm-hmm. there's different ways that, you know, different people have of, of expressing that mm-hmm. and of experiencing it. And I think that a more notable divide is definitely between um, like men and women, and especially in that regard. Um, and I think that like men certainly vent their emotions differently than women. I think that a lot of times guys can be more prone to sealing it up or to yeah. having bursts of anger because of it rather than like healthily letting it flow out. 
Yeah. And but that but I think that's just an easy thing that we can distinguish because it's like this person has a dick, this person doesn't have a dick. Yeah. <laughs> but like I think it's different for everyone, but in just more nuanced ways. Yeah. Like, and that's one of the things like with the whole idea of like, um, you know, is my red the same as your red? Mm. Like, how do I even know that my reality and my interpretation of what's around me is even the same as yours? Yeah. It's it's like something that you want to think about in a chair, but then it, like in your in your wing back chair next to a fire, and then it's like then you just get to the problem where it's like, well, we might never know. Yeah. And we can never know. Like that's the scariest part about it. Just thinking that there's so much that we'll never know. Yeah, like Neil deGrasse Tyson said, we don't know what we don't know. And it's like obviously fucking dude genius uh whatever i could have told you that but if you think about it we don't know what we don't know yeah no 90 what is it 93 percent or whatever the oceans is unexplored we don't know what's down there that's a crazy thing to me we know more about what's in space than we do what's down in the oceans that's wild man i think i (laughs) we need a fact checkers (laughs) it's not a it's not a uh, presidential town joe rogan's dude or whatever that comes over and oh jamie is that his name yeah the the guy who helps him with tech and all that of course i knew that (laughs) i knew that yeah (laughs) i have a dick i knew that (laughs) of course typical mansplain (laughs) yeah it's anyway yeah yeah have you been keeping up with uh with the philosophy and all that jazz yeah, I mean, I still listen to uh, Alan Watts' lecture a night. Oh, you're one of those, like, beta male Alan Watts. <laughs> okay. No, wow. I, ge- I genuinely love his stuff. He he does a phenomenal job at explaining uh, Eastern ideas in a way that us Westerner yeah. dummies can understand. And, he, and even just difficult ideas. He has an incredible way of boiling it down to where... Most people can understand it. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like he boils it down in a way that doesn't even really help that much. But just the there's a soothing nature to deconstructing something to a point where even though it may not give you a solution if you deconstruct it, just going through that process and showing that it's not this conglomerate of confusion that you can't tackle. Yeah. You know, even, you know, listening to something that takes you through that exercise is very helpful for being mm-hmm. like, for, for understanding that, like, hey, you know, I got this. It's going to be yeah. okay. And it's, sometimes his lectures and other uh, Eastern lectures or whatnot that I listen to. Dudes who say cool booze is shit. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, they leave me. I'm sure there's a word for it, but I don't know it. And there might be a word in another language for it. But it's the same feeling I get when I read a nice poem and it's like you've said it either so eloquently or sometimes in like charles bukowski's it's like it's very crude but it works incredibly well Mm -hmm. and it gets the point across and it hits it right on the head but you don't quite know what it hit but you're, you're just like oh i'm completely content and happy with what you've said but I don't know why. And again, that's that's one of those things where like you don't necessarily need someone to explain away everything to you. Like if you have someone who has that kind of aura and who knows how to 
I mean, saying soothsay mm -hmm. is sounds a little bit cynical, but if if you have the presence of someone like that, it really is a special moment. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I I feel like I, I wish as humans we were better at doing that. Yeah. H have you heard of um, the obscure, the dictionary of obscure sorrows? No. Is this one of your kink books? <laughs> <laughs> this is my all uh, right did we get the whip ready <laughs> we're actually in a dungeon right now um yeah that that's not actually a window that is not natural lighting <laughs> that's some like black mirror-esque like yeah black panel. um no but it's it's uh i don't think they've posted anything recently but they're um this, oh, like, this isn't actually a book. No, it's not a book. It's it's. Uh, oh, that was a very misleading title. My understanding is that it's just a YouTube platform, but they might have like a website, more stuff to them. I'm not sure, but basically, it's um they create words that describe feelings that we're not mm -hmm. like that we can't convey with our own language. Yeah, like um one of them was like the feeling that feeling of when you are in a special moment and you take a photo. And you feel a certain sadness that uh, that you're never going to experience a moment like this exactly the same way again, and that you'll never be able to like revisit it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they have other that's ones. like incredibly specific, but like everybody knows exactly what that exactly. Is. And yeah. and the whole purpose of this is to you know give us a vocabulary for things that we don't know. Because I'm a firm believer in the idea that we diminish our own feelings mm -hmm. by trying to explain them. Uh, yeah, I think language is very dangerous in that sense where it's like we try and explain away everything mm -hmm. to where it almost loses its art and its No, exactly. It, it is an art. It its feelings aren't as simple and cut and dry mm -hmm. as we try to categorize them as. Um, and you know, to have successful communication, we have to do that, but we're not at a point and I'm hoping there's some technology in the future that lets us just like emote to each other with something much more sophisticated than fucking emojis, <laughs> but <laughs> the honest emojis, <laughs> but to like truly feel what you're feeling mm -hmm. and it, it, it's, but they I have feel those, like, they're called mood rings. Yeah. <laughs> idiot i'm sorry i'm, not, <laughs> I'm gonna go back to college and <laughs> but um you know it, i feel like if we were able to express what we're feeling to other people through true like not verbally based empathy mm -hmm. but true like empathy like where we connect our brains like that black mirror episode like the black we mirror episode yeah. I, I promise not to murder you and get off on the feeling of your death but uh <laughs> say i'm complaining don't tempt me with a good time <laughs> But it's a, I feel like it'd be really beneficial to be able to compare what we're feeling to other people because I think all too often, like, you know, when I'm feeling like not great, not mm -hmm. shitty, but just kind of like an in between and something's like throwing me off, you know, there could be another way of expressing that feeling other than saying, man, I feel horrible right now. Yeah. And then like convincing yourself that you feel horrible just because that's the word that you attributed to it. It's yeah. I love that kind of that kind of psychology behind the language that we use. And it's and like we know that it's a real problem. Yeah. Like 
Um, there's been a couple of studies I remember from, I think they were in Africa and they're speaking to these tribes that had different words for colors mm -hmm. and like some colors they just couldn't perceive in yeah. the same way that we perceive them, not because they're colorblind, but just because they didn't have a word for it or they could identify uh, more specific colors out of ones that we would generalize to like blue, blue yep. or green. It's so cool. I, I Yeah, I remember exactly the, yeah, the one that you're talking about. And yeah, it's, I'm, I'm very interested in languages in the sense of the way that they shape our minds. Because mm. it's like, okay, yeah, everybody just, just speaks a language. How difficult can that be? But like, even, uh, I had, an, I have an African friend and he, I don't know where he's from in Africa. Um, but he was talking about somebody drowning. Mm -hmm. And the way he described, we'd be like, oh my God, he was drowning. The water was suffocating him. The way he described it was he was drinking the water. It was just like he was drinking it. And it was like, that's such a different way. Like it almost seems, it makes it almost it makes seem it voluntary. playful and voluntary a bit. Whereas like here we're like, oh my God, like mother nature is capsizing this man's entire life and entity. Yeah. And taking it away from him. Darwin's like, coming for you. Yeah. And and then one, one uh, another thing that Alan Watt said is that like here, like in, largely like christian languages or languages in which christianity has been involved in everything mm -hmm. like in english we're very into things with threes mm -hmm. and triangles and in the english language it's to make a proper sentence it has to have a subject verb and predicate and it's the father the son and the holy child and things like that where it's like just little things like that are so deeply ingrained to the way that we perceive the world. Yeah. To It's like, it's completely mad where it's like, that's, wow. Yeah. And like, I, don't quote me on this, but I, I think that when we, uh, when we, they think that like when we remember things, like visual things from our past, mm -hmm. like me looking at you right now, like in my memory, like a snapshot of your face isn't stored there. Yeah, I was it's naked like before. the outlines of you, like the outline mm -hmm. of where your eyebrows are. And just like imagine like a toddler sketching like little lines right over like your main facial features. Yeah. And like that's what my brain stores. And it's so wild to think that I can reconstruct a beautiful picture of your magnificent face. <laughs> by just that. All. all right. So this might be a little bit of a juxtaposition, but how about we go back to the list that you had? Okay. And see what some I I want to see some of the ideas you've had. Completely smooth, terrifying ideas. <laughs> and after a fact checking episode, I was wrong. Four percent of the visible universe and five percent of the oceans. But it does roughly mean a little depth. Your ego's so big you just had to clarify. <laughs> BDE, man. No. B E E. Big ego energy. W A P. What does that mean? Let's just go with your list. P-O-E. P-O-E. <laughs> okay. Um, the degree in which you condemn others, you are ignorant of that in which you have in yourself. What that means, I don't remember. Deep shit, though. Yeah. Um, this is going to be so incredibly slow. Oh, this I think it's... You cannot draw in the sky. 
have its stake. It must be drawn on something. I think, therefore, I am. And there is also a stream of light that flows upon. The river does not hold its ripples like a scar. Anyone who floats along it, unless the current takes them, something like that. I don't know. Body wants pleasure, so therefore it eroticizes pain. Painting grows, a picture stays. I, I want something kind of builds on that. What I think why windows, especially views, are so special, mm -hmm. where like people will pay big money for that, is because it it's a window frame in the same way like a picture frame. It's an ever growing and ever moving picture of it's like well it's just a window but it ever changes um the only difference between <laughs> argument and agreement is you there's a letter swap there yeah boom <laughs> that's like a one of those tacky little self-help things i was thinking of what else we got here the heart and the brain are very good communicators. It's just sometimes they don't speak the same language. That? Yeah. No, that, that hits a little too hard. <laughs> if you're waiting to love, then you're waiting to die. Uh, Relatable. <laughs> <laughs> then there's just like random stuff that I have here. Uh, oh, here's one we were kind of talking about. If we claim we want equality then we must hate superiority but we need inequality because we don't uh because we don't want to be the ones to blame i guess we were talking about that no 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 i think we i think we covered that a bit um this is a very camus idea like the he his idea was like the one definitive question is whether or not we you should kill yourself oh that's fun <laughs> Because and I was thinking about that, and so the act of suicide is really the only one thing that we have control over, mm -hmm. because you know we didn't choose to come into this world. You know, we were just for it was forced upon us. I remind my mom of that daily. Of course, and then she <laughs> reminds you how much you fucking taunt. So do the goddamn chores. But yeah, um, and that's. That's the one thing that we have definitive control over. But there's no reset button after you make that decision. Yeah. Um, so it says that we have control over. Uh, is it not a longing to control something in this world of chaos? We don't choose to come into this world, but it's your choice in the end whether you want to stay with it. The only real choice, and that's the only real choice we have. That's incredibly cynical, but I can't outright disagree with that it <laughs> wow paradise is in paradise if it's forever that was that was one i agree thing. i like that I like that, that was one thing i was talking to um um an undisclosed friend uh of an undisclosed religion and we were talking about their creation ideology is that we all existed in this sort of not quite heaven mm -hmm. um but we like kind of souls we were kind of just floating about in this idea of where it was like completely flatlined mm -hmm. we, we weren't it wasn't good or it wasn't bad it was just existence 
and then we are chosen to come into the like we choose to go down to earth mm-hmm. to where we will you know either have good and bad experiences but the human experiences that idea of you know good and bad and all these emotions that you'll have that you wouldn't have had if you just stayed up there allow you to experience more and i was like okay i i can kind of get behind that idea but yeah. then they said that when you die you're back up in heaven where it's it's just a higher baseline and i was like well then you're back at square one yeah you're, you're right back what you wanted to leave yeah because it was like okay you die and you have a perfect body Mm-hmm. It's like, well, who whose idea is perfect? And what uh, is this idea of perfect? Exactly. And why would you enjoy it forever? I think there is a show, um, The Good Place yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I've never watched it, but I watched some like YouTube like video like <laughs> reviews on it. And uh I I really I need to watch the show. I really love that idea of yeah. exploring like, well, what's the purpose of staying here if this is in perpetuity, per- yeah. perfection, essentially. Yeah. Like, I don't know, is it possible that we are hardwired by some deity to experience things in a way where we would never feel satisfied in the long run with, like, perfection? And that's why we doubt the possibility of that? Mm -hmm. Or, and, like, when we, like, die and we go to heaven, per se, uh, se, um, you know, our psychology shifts to, like, I can actually enjoy this forever? Yeah. Or, or or are we just genuinely, you know, do we just die and then there's nothing? Yeah. And then, and we also talked about, um, like, God's plan. And how it's like, okay, God has a plan for you. He has a course. Mm. And it's like, then how can free will exist? And that's been a debate for a long time. Yeah. I know, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, that's not an original idea. Um, how, what about, what else do we have? You'd be surprised the the power that a imaginary idea has. Um, you only know things via a contrast, not a state. I don't know what the hell that was on. No, I think that's I think that's part of the idea of you know you can't appreciate the good versus what's bad if you don't have a reference. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh my god, it's getting toasty. Yeah. Um my next one is did God create or humanity or did humanity create God? One going back to it's like, well, I'm does lo- he exist? I'm looking at Prometheus, man. There we go. <laughs> Stealing fire. I love the way that and this kind of goes back to like what I was talking about with like the ideas of uh like understanding our languages and whatnot, and the way that the at least in the the way that Prometheus Prometheus is framed, the way that the Greeks understood fire was not as a chemical reaction, mm. but as an animal. So it was like, okay, you need to feed it, otherwise it will die out. If you feed it too much, it will eat you up, mm. which is true. But it's it's that way of seeing something as you know mundane and ordinary as fire. But that's also so, it's also vital to us, obviously. But just perceiving it as a living thing. Yeah. I don't know, like the question of uh, how much you need to feed something kind of, at least in my mind, it just rings a bell to, um, I forgot where it came from, but the idea that there's two dogs inside you. Um, One of them is pain and suffering Mm -hmm. and agony. 
and the other one is a willingness to find joy and purpose huh and uh how you live and how you perceive your life is in this specific binary depends on which dog you feed and i like that it sounds very eastern but i could be wrong very as if we know shit yeah <laughs> based on my exuberant knowledge based no whatever <laughs> um oh if there's anything more you want to share from that we can go through that and then wrap it up or sure i mean more. whatever i um this one I, I i was kind of writing it as a joke i'm dead certain that that the next generation will think that they're right <laughs> I just thought that it was took funny. me. It took me a moment because, like, we think that we're right, and the one before us thinks they're right. It's like we're all right, but you're all wrong. But you're, you know, literally dead serious. And then he, I have like literally starts of like poems where I have oh, nice. no idea where they're gonna go. Um, uh, let's see. When you stop learning, you stop living. People who are interested are interesting. Ooh. We take drugs. We <laughs> drugs. We take <laughs> drugs as a prescription to, for our loneliness. <laughs> um, what else we got? You can be happy anywhere in the world. It just depends on who you want to be happy with. Yeah. We'll end on a high note with that one. Or a happy note. Well, optimistic. Despite the depths we've gone with our conversation today, there is one question I'd like to ask to end it. It's the best oh. and the brightest of them. Should I kill myself? No. <laughs> no. God, no. <laughs> um, why is it you wear suits all the time? The age-old question. The world may never know. It's very similar to how many licks does it take to get to the center of it. Just that. No. But in all actuality, it was... You I, don't even know, do you? No. <laughs> but I, I've come up with so many different explanations that I think I have a rough idea. Hmm. Um, when I was younger... I hated dressing up. I was like, what difference does it make what clothes I'm wearing? I'm just it's just supposed to cover my private bits. <laughs> so I'll just wear like, like a loincloth to school. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just like, all right, I'm I'm in my underwear. No, kind of you have to cover up your top. Okay, I'll, I'll wear a shirt. Well, okay, you can't just have your loin cloth showing. Wear something else. So then you got pants, okay. And then you cut your feet, so you okay, you, you wear protection on your feet. Um, and I remember when I was really young, I didn't wear socks for like a week. I got a wart, and that was the worst ever since then. <laughs> always wear socks. That's my PSA. So because you were giving yourself, because your foot hurt, you decided. Yeah, to I was wear like, suits. this is, and then I remember them saying like, they're gonna put some Beetlejuice on me. I was like, that's weird. <laughs> um, but then I slowly started to see and understand that, and I, I don't mean to sound like some like New York fashion model or anything here or fashion designer. Loki like, kind of are though. Where fashion and almost anything that you do 
can be a statement in its own right. Mm. Like I drive old cars. I I I like old Mercedes. It fits you because yeah. Every every time someone sees my car, they're like, "Of course you drive this car, Connor." <laughs> like, um, and if you can use the way that people are going to receive you to your advantage, why wouldn't you? It's a part of self-expression, and you know your 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 social identity. Yeah, and you know you can put whatever labels you want on, like sociologically or whatever, on it. Um. But it's like, yeah, you know, I I always hate it when, you know, in like a sociology class, it'll be like, oh, well, there's a homeless man. It's the same person. We dress him up as a homeless man. Then we dress him up as a guy in a suit. And then it's like, how do people react differently? And it's like, it's like, you're just trying to prove this when it's like, like, I remember one, they were, it was in London and the person was like a homeless man mm-hmm. and he was just screaming and he was in pain and everything. And he was like, oh, please, someone help me. Whereas if you've ever been to a big city, there are loads of homeless people generally off their rocker. Like, yeah, it's a mental illness, man. Yeah. They, they and it's, need help. Yeah. So if, if that's who you are, it relies strongly on stereotypes, which everybody hates stereotypes, but they do have their place. And everybody, it's like, you're not some dude who's moaning in agony, who, you know, when the vast majority of the most homeless people that you would meet in that city who are standing on a street corner are going to be, like, possibly dangerous. Mm. uh, It's like, do you expect people to act differently? Yeah. I mean, I... I've never lived in a big city, but well, yeah, Idaho. Uh, yeah, <laughs> here in Idaho, but man who lives in the ass crack of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yep, out in out in the mountains. But um, I don't That's honestly, actually a picture of Keaton's home. Yeah, I I live he lives just underneath that tree. Yeah, right at the there. base of the mountain. Yeah, <laughs> but sing um, songs about him. I think I love that wall. That's sweet. <laughs> I'd say there were good songs. Oh shit. <laughs> but like I feel like if I were on the street and um you know, I, I saw a homeless person um struggling and asking like yelling in pain or something, mm-hmm. I almost feel because I'm such a good person, I almost feel like I would be more inclined to help that person over some rich looking Aryan race prick in a nice suit. Yeah. Like screaming in pain and i don't know for me that it's just more of an understanding that you know i don't think mental illness is something that is contained to any demographic no, or any you know, status of wealth or anything but you know if you're in a position where you have money i feel like it's easier for you to have access to the help that mm-hmm. you really need when you have something going on mentally that you're having trouble combating. Yeah. Um, and sometimes when you get like some rich, arrogant fucks, it just comes to, um, and not all rich people are terrible. No. Like by, by far not. But, you know, sometimes you get people who get so obsessed with this idea of like money is my purpose. Yeah. Like, and I feel like that in itself is kind of a mental illness. Yeah. Where they try and find happiness and, not just happiness like it's a weird fetish and yeah for 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 money and like you lose empathy because it's like well what does the dollar sign say yeah but like 
you know, I don't Franklin feel like... Franklin ain't smiling back at you. No. <laughs> and I, I just feel like I don't have as much empathy. Uh, well, I do have empathy for him, but I personally don't feel like I can help someone in that position as much as I could help someone who is homeless, for example. Because, you know, we're all dealing with shit, and a lot of us are facing, you know, some mental illness issues. Yeah. Especially right now, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it, no, and I, yeah, I completely agree, but, like, the... Like the experience where they're, they're like trying to like, and then and then they like ostracize and make fun of the people who like they're like, how dare you not stop for that person? It's like you don't know, you don't first of all you don't even know that person could have like been on the phone to like their wife in labor. You don't know what was going on in that person's life. Yeah. It's like it's so situational where the people who are like, oh. I'm so, I just love everybody and I'm so interested in the way everybody reacts to and integrates and everything. But then it's like, <laughs> there's a great Tom Lehrer, um, like satirical song uh, called Sociology and it's to the tune of choreography uh, <laughs> from White Christmas by Dan, or by Ivan Berlin, but it's sang by uh, Danny Kay. Mm. And it's, oh, it's it's brilliant. And I, I suggest like take a look at that. And he he's got one. It's called the Professor Song. Oh my God! I'll have to look it up. Spot on. <laughs> Spot on. Coming from my dad, who or coming from someone whose father is a professor. Yeah, hundred percent. They're like one of the lines is, I've tried for numerous degrees. Of course, I've one of each, and or I've tried for numerous degrees. In fact, I've one of each. Of course, that makes me eminently qualified to teach. <laughs> I all know it doesn't. It's like no. There's, there's a no. There's a certain set of social skills you need to have before yeah. you can effectively um, teach any group of people. Yeah. My mom used to say that PhD means piled high and deep. <laughs> In debt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad we figured out why you wear suits. Did we answer that question? Not really. <laughs> anyway, it's pretty much because they make me feel good. That's no, I, I completely agree. Yeah, with that. I, I that's was, fine. It's like, okay, well, if I can feel good about myself, it, it, it was like, okay, I would dress up for presentations. And I was like, okay, I feel pretty damn good. Yeah. Why would I like to feel like that all the time? Now that's not me trying to be like, ooh, raise that baseline. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just like, well, if I can fix, it's like having like a hole in your shoe or like a hole in your sock. It's like you can, the sock still works, mm -hmm. but you got a hole in your sock and it's pretty irritating. So if you can fix the hole in your sock, why wouldn't you? And then people always say that suits are uncomfortable, but if a suit properly fits, they're comfy. They're comfy. And you don't know that they're there. Especially it, in the winter. Exactly. And it, it's like with everything, like if your body's working properly, you don't have to think about it. Yeah. It's only until you like start hearing your ears and you get like tinnitus where it's like, oh shit, there's something wrong with my ears. Why is my body fucking Why is my, <laughs> this is my body's fault. Whereas like before that, it was smooth sailing. Yeah. I think from a cynical point of view, it could be argued that 
you wearing suits is, uh, going back to what we were talking about in the beginning, is something along the lines of, uh, well, I'm exceptional because I dress better than you. Yes. But <laughs> but knowing you, I... I, I everybody I, else. <laughs> yes, that is a trademark of you. All the poor people out there. But I, I think that, you know, knowing you, I think, uh, I genuinely believe that it comes from more of a place of just self-love and, you know, wanting to, you know, feel good and you'll feel better about yourself because i mean i agree with you why not if you have something that is going to make you feel happier or more energized throughout the day you know do it as long as it's not cocaine and (laughs) so i think that you are a very fashionable man i I appreciate your sense of style it inspires me to dress up like this more often look how sexy he is i mean thanks babe props to him he's even matching the walls i (laughs) Hey, I, I I dressed up for you, so I'm glad that you like it. I appreciate it. But it, I love talking with you. It's always fun. I, I like the depth that and how easy it is to get there with you. And I think that you're all around just a, a really deep dude. Well, you can find out later. I'm glad that the viewers or the listeners or the poor unfortunate souls who've had to listen to this have deduced that I work for an airline drive Mercedes, wear suits, and I'm a Nazi sympathizer. <laughs> For all the... Who listen- writes poetry and is failing. <laughs> Might not get into art school. Oh, shit. For all the listeners who are currently being waterboarded <laughs> and having your eyes peeled open to watch a projector playing this Pretty interview, much. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I'm hope that you got to take something away from this conversation because I always take something away of conversations with my man, Connor Newport. I really appreciate you coming on the program and I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. I wonder what 50 years from now, people, if someone stumbles across